Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the What We See podcast, the show that opens the doors into one of the largest technology companies in the world. I'm Connor Donahue, and I'm very pleased to say that I'm joined by my guest today, Leila Roman, head of SAP SuccessFactors UK and Ireland. Leila, great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Afternoon, Connor. Leila, first off, we just had a bit of a chat there offline about the name your name roman romaine <laughs> please put put our listeners out of confusion and explain where does the name come from it's not like the lettuce you told me it's not like the lettuce no uh roman um it is pronounced that way not romaine um i am half tunisian so my father is Tunisian, my mother is English. I carry dual nationality, which means uh, dual passport, passport. So if um, things get um, really tough or I run up too much debt here, then I can disappear off to Tunisia. Not that obviously I would do that. Um, yeah, I, th- I, I think originally it's of um, Italian descent, actually. And if anybody saw my father, they'd say he looks really Italian. In fact, most people do. And having just recently done a trip to Rome where Roman looks like it's everywhere and, we, and I took so many <laughs> pictures and so many photos and brought home fridge magnets with the uh, with the name on then I'm convinced actually I'm Italian as well but um okay Tunisian. as of today I'm Tunisian okay uh, <coughs> Tunisia is not a nationality I know anything about would you consider yourself you, you know is there any apart from the name and your dad, but you've lived here most of your life? I've lived here all my life. Um, I would consider myself half Tunisian, actually. Mm. Um, I go out there once, twice a year. I've spent a lot of time out there. Um, all of my family are out there, bar mm. my dad, who moved over, but actually um, has moved back. So, But I, I definitely feel like I'm 50-50, despite having a uh, Birmingham accent. <laughs> what part of Tunisia would you go to? A uh, place I go to is a place called Hammamet, which is about an hour away from Tunis, which is the capital. Yeah. Very nice little coastal um, town um, with beautiful beaches surrounding it. So I'm really lucky in that my dad's got a house out there and you can see the see the beach from um, from his villa, nice. which is nice. The Mediterranean. Med, very nice. Lovely. Not a place I've been, but definitely have to go there. Would, would recommend it. Would you? Yes. What is the currency? Tunisian dinar. What's the exchange rate? Is it good value out there? Is it or what? It is pretty good value. I think it's um, yeah, it's pretty strong actually. So I get quite a good return for my money at the moment. So yeah. Okay, let's look into it on the to-do list. Next trip out to Tunisia. Just don't go in August. It's really really hot. I imagine so. So, in our little preamble beforehand, we discussed a few topics. What we might. <laughs> use in this little slot and I think one of the topics that jumped out at me most was our discussion about leadership and you're in a leadership position in SAP you have been for a couple of years a uh, uh, year and a half year and a half year yeah. and a half yeah just taken up a new role yeah heading up one of the SAP cloud solutions success factors which is a HR based uh, product and you, know, you said something interesting that leadership to you is about getting people to follow you. Yeah. Um, so how long have I been in leadership roles? I've probably been in leadership roles for 10 years, maybe, mm. whether that's first line, second line, 
and then on um, sitting on the UK board for SAP. Um, I mean, leadership is many things to many people. Um, for me, it's about um, getting the team or the business to believe in you as a, as a person, as a brand, and getting them to follow um, where you're taking the business, the strategy of the business, um, but also them understanding um, my first priority is obviously customers first, um, but actually the team that works for me. Because if the team, um, the team that works for me doesn't succeed, then I don't succeed. Mm. So it's not about brand Layla; it's about the success factors business and making sure that they are believing in where we're going as a business. Like I said, the strategy of that business. Um, and the investment that they're making. Mm. And because I lead that charge, they have to believe in all the things that I'm trying to do to move the business on. Mm. Totally agree with you. And I think the, the best leaders and the most effective leaders, in my experience, are the ones who, to get the most out of me as a team member, I think I need to believe in you as a person. So how do you try and present yourself or portray brand Layla? Uh, in the best way to get buy-in from the team? Um, so I communicate a lot with the team. So we do, so for example, I do a weekly um, team call where I'll kind of go through the state of the nation, um, new learnings, what I've learned new, what I'm doing. So um, so it's not, it's not hidden to them so they can see what I'm doing in my working week and mm. how I'm trying to bring the business on. Um, and, and evolve evolve the business. Um, so communications one. I want the team to trust me. Mm. Um, I think um, I think I think trust is important, but it's a two way thing. So I I trust them in mm. in what they're doing, and I need them to trust me and believe again in in what I'm doing is is moving our business forward because it's not my business; it's our business, and we're all we're one team. Um, so and to that point. Having a team ethos is really important. So we do quite a lot of a team, whether that's, and um, we've done a t uh, two-day offsite recently and, and done a number of things, kind of um, <clears throat> kind of bonding, building, enablement, having a bit of fun. On Friday, um, we had a day of kind of, we had a blitz day, and that was all about kind of coming together, but actually looking at new ways of reaching out to our clients. So digitally how we how we reach out mm -hmm. to our clients via blitz days um not just kind of getting on the on the phone um and the team turned up we had some fun with that we talked about um different stories throughout the day in terms of uh, some of the team reaching out to clients and, and what they found had an email this morning from one of the from one of my team saying you know um whilst i didn't actually get a meeting on um on Friday, actually, I sent out a number of requests digitally and I've had some follow-up and I've got a couple of meetings scheduled. So even mm. even after we'd done the day, the team are um, still bought into that, still bought into what we'd set up on Friday and are still kind of scheduling meetings and keeping that going. Mm. Um, so again, it's about communication, trust, the team ethos, mm. um, keeping the team motivated. You know, again, they they... Everybody has to feel like they want to come to work and they're all stri striving for the same the same thing. Um, and I think it's important that the team kind of think, yeah, I've come to work today and, mm. and I've made a difference or I've, yeah. I've even mo moved a client forward. I've moved part of our business forward. Um, so, I, I, yeah, team ethos, motivation, that's that's really important. No, I agree. And, yeah, I think 
to get the best, just again, from my own experience, if you want someone to say, to want to really want to come to work, you know, you want them to come because they want to support you and fulfill your vision and your strategy. And you mentioned trust there and how you build trust with a team. I, I think when, when a leader shows vulnerability, a small bit of vulnerability, then you're like, oh, then you automatically you're kind of empathize with them. You feel like, oh yeah, they're sort of human rather than the leader is on you know an elevated position and sort of ivory tower, not showing yeah. any sort of humanity <coughs> vulnerability. Would you agree with that? I, I do actually agree with it. I think showing a vulnerable side makes you human, mm. which means people will connect to you more. Um, and for me, I've got a real big thing around, I want the team to feel connected to the business. Mm. So I want them to buy into being part of SAP UK and Ireland, part of Success Factors, part of the overall team and part of me. So I, I want them to feel connected. And also the other thing is, a bit like we talk about people buy from people and I still believe that's a, you know, I still think that's true. Um, people want to come and work for leaders that they trust, mm. respect, are vulnerable, have, um, are authentic. Um, and, and if you kind of read stats, most people say, or I always say to people, um, think about think about who you want to work for, who you're inspired by, um, because at the end of the day, people don't leave companies because they're leaving a job. They typically leave their boss, their manager. That's, that's the main reason. Mm. So again, that's why for me, making, making the team feel connected to the business, but also me and the mission and the strategy I'm driving is, is really important because it, it makes them feel connected and mm. that they're part of something. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in people. People work for people. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And especially in, in this industry where demand for talent is so ruthless. Yeah, to, I mean, to, it's to hold on to someone for a year, two years, three years is very important. Yeah, and we work we work in a very competitive environment, both mm. from a sales perspective, but also from a from a, a market unit perspective. UK and Ireland is one of the most competitive markets globally. So trying to retain customers and employees mm. is really difficult. Mm. So then being brought into the vision, the the mission, the strategy. Um, is is really important. I agree. And one thing you said there, uh, you're talking about the Blitz Day you did on Friday. And people who don't really know what that is, because not everybody is in technology sales yep. who listens to this. Blitz Day, my interpretation of Blitz Day is people, a lot of sales reps in a room and managers, and they're trying to contact people through either email, phone, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever, Twitter, any, any way possible. And it's trying to generate interest, generate a conversation, engagement with our two brands, our two companies. Yeah. Um, you've been in the technology sales game a long time. How has that changed? Okay, and that sort of a blitz day like you had on Friday is probably something that's been around for the last three to five years, maybe. Prior to that, prior to the Twitter, social media, etc., how did those blitz days look? Uh, good question. Uh, probably a lot more traditional, right? So people would be sat in a room, you know, uh, it wasn't kind of a LinkedIn um, 
LinkedIn era, it would be trying to get contacts in terms of not not yellow pages because that's like not what we used to do. But it would be essentially a list from marketing that would have mm. that would be in your database, um, and you'd you'd reach out to to those people or hope mm. or, or contacts that you may have made at an event. Yeah. Um, now with GDPR, that's not as easy. So um, it's it, reaching people digitally is much more effective because you can have a co- you can connect with them they choose whether they want to opt in and have a conversation with you actually you can get key messages out via twitter via different mediums um, in order to reach clients and clients or prospects can decide whether they want to interact with you um, i mean to say that we've moved on dramatically from a digital perspective is an understatement do i think the outcomes are the outcomes not different though you know, I was just thinking about just this. more tools, more stuff. More tools, but it doesn't more choice. Doesn't necessarily mean they're more effective. Um, I think clients have more choice about what they want to engage in now. Mm. Um, they have more information. They first have more of all. information. So they're not coming to the sales rep to to be informed. No, so they have more information, and again, that's why it makes things a lot more competitive because they have more choices as well, mm. and they can research many, many different kinds of niche players, whereas I guess back in the day it was all about the brand and how much you could get your brand out there. still is about brand awareness. That's still a huge aspect of it. But now they can search for niche players that might fit Mm. 10% of what they they need it to do. So that comes back to the whole competitive piece. And that's that's why it's so, to a certain extent, so competitive. Mm. Um, Are the business problems the same? Probably in terms of it's about people trying to reach their customer base. Um, lots of clients, or most clients are trying to stay competitive in their space. We've seen how much the high street has changed over mm-hmm. the last 10 years and how many how many retailers are struggling as well now. So from that perspective, it's changed, but it's about how they keep relevant ahead of technology because whilst we're a tech company, actually a lot of, a lot of thing, things today are driven by technology. Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, it's all kind of software mm, technology mm. driven. Um, but they are trying to stay competitive. They're trying to reach their clients in the same way we're trying to reach our clients. They're trying to save costs. They're trying to increase sales. Those things fundamentally haven't haven't changed. It's about how they do that now. Yeah. And that's very different to how it was 10 years ago, I guess, when, mm. when I was repping. And I suppose then, what, in your opinion the future of the technology sales rep look like because if if the prospect or the organization or whoever business x x limited has all the information at hand you know they can do all the research online it's all there they can speak to anybody else who's implemented the software that we might uh, be trying to sell and ultimately they have a view they have a much better clearer view of they've made an opinion on our software already before we as a company have engaged with them and you know whereas once i think the sales rep was the expert and still is the expert the product expert they're maybe less so in in that capacity you know they're not the customer isn't waiting for okay give me the pitch tell me functions features benefits and then i'll make my decision that's changed uh, so yes, it has. It, again, there's a, a lot more information 
for clients to get out there. Is my job going to be automated in two years? No, I don't think your job is going to be automated <laughs> in two years. Um, although you might want to check with your leader on that. but um, <laughs> And whether you believe in him and his, his mission and strategy. Yeah. No, I, d- I, don't, I don't believe so, no. Um, I still think people will, will always want that human contact, will want to look someone in the whites of the eyes because you're entering into a partnership at the end of the day and you want to know that that company, that person either you're buying from or is selling to you, mm. you believe you trust the same as a leader. When I sit in front of clients, clients always want to meet you because they want to look you in the eye and go, am I bought into you? Are you going to be here in five, ten years' time mm. um, when my business is still going? Are you going to help me evolve and change my business? Um, so I don't know. I don't believe it will be automated. What you can do is use the tools around you to help get more information to clients in a faster way to help their decisions, that process going, mm. um, you know, using other clients. I know you've had some clients come on and and talk about what they're doing. You know, the power of um, other clients talking to other clients is is amazing and that, and that always helps. Mm. Um, but also there's so much information out there, good and bad, right? Mm. So people form opinions based on if they Google something and, yeah. and what, what our technology says. Um, so usually by the time they've got to us, they've got some sort of formed opinion. Mm. And also we're lucky in that we've got a really big brand. So most, most of our clients and prospects have heard of us and have spoken to like-minded, um, clients within the same industries as well. So I've already kind of got a, a baseline. Yeah. Oh yeah. And we're coming into the market as a premium brand. So people then they're going to have a preconceived idea that it's going to be expensive. You know, I think that's a lot of times that's the perception out there and then we have to dispel that and that's a challenge and say okay it's 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 a value proposition yeah. rather than a price point a- absolutely right we i mean we are changing and evolving as a business mm. right we're moving from on-prem to cloud and therefore we have to adapt to our business so the days of us being really heavy really heavy and expensive and that perception um absolutely has changed is changing mm. in order for us to move with the industry and with technology. We're a technology company, so we've got to evolve in that manner as well. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, so that is a myth. <laughs> Dispelled here first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm still more curious around that um, idea of the future of the sales rep, the technology sales rep, because everything that we buy in our own lives, you know, rarely do you actually engage with the salesperson. Be it utilities, you just do it online okay yeah that's my gas that's my thing or if it's any sort of um, any digital service you know, sign up for a subscription yeah perfect 20 euro 10 10 pounds a month done spotify netflix done why when we get into the enterprise software world is that is that different different i mean our technology runs people's business right um it's not kind of like you're buying a commodity as is we're running big businesses here, whether that's HR, payroll, mm. um, onboarding, finance systems, supply chain systems. That's not just click a button and we're going to set you up and and off you go. Mm. And I think, I think whilst we are in an automated industry and you can see that we absolutely are evolving in that, I, d- I, I don't think we're ever going to get to a position where we're just going to say, 
here you go, click this button and there's your finance system on. And mm. I still think clients will want that level of certainty when it comes to opening and closing their be- their books, mm. that there's people um, behind that. And, and given the amount of client engagement that I have, kind of the implementation side and speaking to people is still very key. Having people on site, having that level of comfort is still very key. These are, you know, we're a big business. Um, we deal with all sorts of sizes of companies. So it's not just big enterprise companies we deal with. We deal with uh, with a vast range. And I guess we scale depending on that and have different levels of um, engagements, mm-hmm. whether that's more phone-based engagements versus account management engagements. But, but you know, SAP are running people's businesses for them. Yeah. I don't think people would expect them to be like down, you know, order a book from Amazon, for example, yeah, send them and, a link and off you go, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. I, when I'm making big decisions, um, so I'm moving house yeah. or I've put my house on the market, I have gone with a online estate agents, interestingly. You've, I didn't... You've digitalized. I have. Digi- I, I have. <laughs> however, a person still comes to my house because okay. I still want to see that person. So I guess it's se- semi-automated. Purple bricks. Yeah. It's Yopa, which yeah. is the second largest, I think, okay. in in um, in that space. So everything's automated in terms of you get your bookings via a text message. You get the feedback via you, you know you log into a portal. All mm. of that is kind of real time, which is good. But it's still the man at the end of the day that I text and say, hey, how did today's viewing go? Which is one of the text messages I've had today. Yeah. And he still responds and says, mm, you know, they didn't turn up or whatever it was, which is what happened today. Um, he was the person that came round to my house and still viewed it, valued it. It wasn't a case of somebody kind of just phones me and says, this is how much I think and feel your house is worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I don't yeah. think I would have been happy because I'd have been like, I've lived what there six, seven years yeah. and I've I've gutted some parts and done it up. Mm. But if they just kind of went, well, based on what you've told us, we think it's about this mm. and it's fully automated. No, that wouldn't, I don't think that would work for anybody. So it's still a human being that comes to my yeah, house. Yeah. That's still a human being that comes and shows people around my house exactly. as well. And I suppose the technology is... It's rem- enabling is that. Removing all yeah. the, the mundane stuff yeah. that the person would otherwise have yeah. to do in a traditional... Yes, yeah, so I don't have business. to deal with any paper in terms of... Um, I don't think he left me with a brochure or anything like that or everything he's done um, all my paperwork for example was all done in this portal and I e-sign it and off I go Um, but I still get access to Mm. a physical human it's still which gives you the confidence and comfort to know that there's someone there rather than it's just in some digital portal somewhere yeah because you're you're dealing with something that's really important to me and is you know significant amount of money so therefore i wouldn't want to i just wouldn't want somebody to do a guesstimate mm. of how much my house is worth so do you want to give your house a plug now Layla, while we're on the <laughs> <laughs> it's in farnborough it's very nicely done three bedrooms square footage um, what are you talking here is this like mega I, mansion no yeah. unfortunately not there's not a western and east wing okay. uh it's a nice victorian um style real fireplaces high ceilings that kind of stuff okay farnborough so, I'm not an area i'm familiar with where's that north south east west hampshire so down the m3 nice nice part of the world nice okay. bit of countryside um down there very green good train line into waterloo mm-hmm. actually five minutes away from the train station direct into waterloo in 35 minutes so yeah there's the Plug- elevator pitch <laughs> plugged away <laughs> um where are you moving to and or why the move why the change oh i haven't fully what? figured it out i um i want to go a bit closer into into town really not really close but probably 
three or maybe four or five miles in. Mm. Um, uh, but I haven't decided whereabouts yet, so I decided... Is that to get, like, to get on to the tube line, is it? Uh, not quite, but just um, to be probably 30 minutes away from kind of London. I, I'm in town in and out quite a lot. I do yeah. quite a lot of... I've got two dinners this week, for example. I had two last week. Um, I prefer sleeping in my own bed rather than a hotel. Mm. And so I like to get home. Um, and it's, farm was just a little bit further out personally for me. Mm. Have you bought something yet? No, no, no. So I've not bought. I um, put my house on the market because I thought that would force my decision <laughs> to find somewhere and buy something. Um, so I've, I'm having quite a lot of interest in my house, but everyone says, have you found somewhere yet? No. You, have you settled on an area? No. So if anybody knows of any areas, kind of West London, then um, I'm all ears right now. West London. Don't, can't advise you there. I only know Northwest. NW3, highly recommended area. Easy commute. Yeah. To here. Yeah. Just tube Jubilee to Waterloo, Waterloo all the way out. Where is it about that you live? Swiss Cottage. Oh, nice. Fancy. Yeah. Why did you pick there? Because Ricky Gervais lives up there. Oh, and you're a fan of his? Big fan. <laughs> do you, and do you get access to his living room, kind of? I No, I'm very close to finding out where he lives. and I'll be stuck. No, Loads of celebrities live up there. Um, more you didn't they move live there, though, because of the celebs. <laughs> no, and that's what I'm starting to sound like an absolute weirdo. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't move there because of the celebs. Just moved there because... Uh, why did I move there? I think really because my wife had seen that area when she was over here... Uh, Years a few years ago, and said, "Yeah, this. If I ever move to London, this is where I'd like to live." And I was, I had no London experience, so he just said, "Yeah, let's go for it." Mm, Close cool. to Hampstead Heath. Walking yeah, just, that's nice. That's lovely. Yeah, uh, walking around there yesterday, and it's very close to town as well. So best of both worlds, really. Yeah, nice place. So but yeah. as you can tell, for me, probably not as easy um commute because um i often nip up to birmingham hence the accent but um so my family are all there so i need to be relatively close to a motorway okay yeah especially fair. at the moment as i'm on standby so if my phone goes and i rush out it's because my sister's due to give birth ah. literally any moment it's going to be an auntie again again great how many how many nieces and nephews i have Four nieces and two nephews. Wow. And another niece on the way, and then another niece or nephew on the way. Bloody hell. Yeah. Quite um, quite active in my family. <laughs> okay, as a young girl growing up in Birmingham, did you always imagine you are going to be a technology sales leader? <laughs> no. <laughs> what was no. the dream? Or was is this the dream and now you're living it? I think now that I'm in it, this is the dream. If somebody mm. said, what else would you want to do? I'd honestly say, I don't, I don't know. Mm. I think I've got one of the best jobs um, going. I, I genuinely enjoy coming to work. Somebody on Thursday night was on the phone to someone, somebody else. And um, they said, gosh, you sound like you're really enjoying it. And I said, I, I really am. Mm. I, you know, what's, what's not to like? Uh, yeah. Technology is a really exciting exciting business to be in it's always changing evolving at the moment it's what um is driving everybody you know we're all we've all got a phone or i'm assuming most people have a phone technology is always on so i get to work in this industry 
Um, so for me, I think I've got a I've got a great job. I'm trying to help customers on their HR transformation journey. So you know how they make their employees feel again connected to the to the business. Um, and and again, it, that's changing in itself. Um, kind of in house. HR services versus um, shared services. So mm-hmm. that, that's changing and evolving. But now I've definitely, um, I think I've got a, a great job. And, and yeah, everyone always says to me, you always look really happy. And I'm like, I've got a great team. Um, we're doing well as a business. Um, so no, was this the dream? Mm. Did I, when I was a little girl, did I go, I want, when I grow up, I want to be in technology? No, I think I thought I was going to be a hairdresser, but I think most little girls think they're going to be a hairdresser. <laughs> Um, and I think my dad said, no, you're not going to be a hairdresser, Layla. Um, I thought at one point I was going to be a lawyer. Okay. Um, so I took, I did some law modules at college and then realized it wasn't for me at all. And the amount of reading I'd have to do, and I was going to have to be super, super smart. Um, I decided that wasn't for me. Mm. Um, and then, I don't know, I left uni, um, and went to work for a startup, um, in, in a technology company, funny enough. Um, surrounded by salespeople, um, but I, I put that off for a little bit, um, and I, w- I started in marketing in my career. So I did four years in software marketing, yeah. And then I thought this isn't for me, and I had loads of people saying, "I think you're in the wrong role. You should probably move into into sales." And and I moved into sales, and the rest is history. The rest is history, and I think if I'd looked back, I never thought I would have ended up in sales, but. Um, I have done, and, and no regrets f- at all. When you moved into that startup, the technology startup, I'm assuming that startup was very much male-dominated? Um, oh, that's an interesting question. Actually, probably not. It was a no. bit more balanced. Um, so my, my wasn't a hairdresser startup, was it? It wasn't a hairdresser startup, no. Okay. no. Um, my boss was female, and my boss's boss was female. Um... And the CFO was female. The rest, I think, were male. But actually, my direct line were female. And there was a couple of... I mean, it wasn't a very big starter. Mm. Probably about 100 people. Um, But there was... Actually, all of the sales people presumably were male. Mm. But you've never... Correct me if I'm wrong. You've never felt that your gender in this industry, in this role, has had any negative impact on you or you've faced any extra challenges or you know, what has been your experience as a female in, you know, it, it is a male-heavy industry, a male-heavy world that we're in. And, you know, that is changing all the time. And even but when you get up into, into the leadership ranks, you're even more of a minority in leadership. Um. I've I've never ever felt held back, and I think people go really, and and honestly not. If anything, I sometimes in my career felt I'd been um, pushed f- forward before I was ready. But then the argument is, when are you ever ready to kind of take your next step? You should mm. you should never really be ready because then if you're already ready for it, how do you strive into it and then grow into that role? Um, so, but I've never help, felt held back. Um, I'm not sure. I I don't look around thinking I'm a senior female in this industry and my goodness there's lots of lots of men around me. Um 
it might be because I grew up with five sisters. So I've always been surrounded by lots of females. Mm. So I don't, and, and maybe then people go, well, then surely you'd notice there's lots more men around. Um, but I, I've never felt, I've never felt walking into a room where I think, my goodness, there's lots, there's lots of men. Sometimes I notice it, um, but it, does it intimidate me? No. Do I feel threatened by it? No. Um, am I probably one of the loudest people in the room? Yes. Um, <laughs> But no, it's not something that I, I take on. I, I'm, I'm here doing the job that I want to do yeah. in a company that I want to be in, leading a business that I want to lead. Um, I, no, I don't look around and think yeah, there's, right. there's, I'm surrounded by men and therefore that feels uncomfortable or intimidating. No. Very positive thing if that's been your experience. And you've also said that you've led teams of men. Ex uh, yeah. ex exclusively yeah. Uh, male teams as a younger woman older, leading older men what was that environment like was that a, a did you require a different skill set um, it's probably a younger team here well it's mixed, mixed team. It's for, yeah it's yeah. mixed um, it, so it was my first leadership role I walked in my boss had got promoted and then I had um, backfilled my boss so, um, and I was the youngest person in the team, um, leading a team of, of older uh, gents, not like older gents, but as in Oops, older than me under 70s. at the time. Yeah. Mm. Um, at the time, um, the biggest challenge I had is they kept running to my boss because he was their boss five minutes ago. So yeah. I had to kind of put actually a bit of a, you need to stop talking to them and, and they need to understand that I'm now in, in place and it's not it's not you. You've been promoted. Um so and also within within the team, one of the people that I'd gone up against was one of was now one of the people mm. that had to work for me. Um so that took a little bit of a while to find that feet and and I and I learned quite quickly that um there was no point in me kind of pushing myself onto him so to speak I needed to let him see what value I could bring mm. um and that he could trust me uh, back to the trust thing he he needs to feel he could trust me because I think it, to start with he he was looking at me thinking well why did you get the job and I didn't yeah so it was about how could I be relevant to him without being too forceful with him um and then I learned quite quickly that you can't you can't take a broad brush to everybody you have to treat everybody as individuals sounds really basic no but um, actually, I had to understand how each of those gentlemen um, wanted to work with me, what made them tick, mm. what they liked, what they didn't like, and what they're looking for in a manager, what they're not. Um, and, and they were all very varied. And I managed that team for just over two years successfully as well. And was that something you were taught or is it something just sort of intuitively knew, OK, I have to treat these as individuals, understand them as people in order to get them to buy into me um i think um i think because of being a salesperson you you kind of have to learn some of that behavior anyway mm. so it was just different in that i had to apply it to my my now new team and then being a new leader as well um so it, I guess it was a bit of self-taught. Actually, I'd had some great managers up to that point in terms of I was a I was a rep for many years. So I took a bit of 
some of the leaders that I'd, yeah. I'd worked for and respected. And I got on and thought, okay, when I was a rep, what was important to me? What wasn't? How did I want to be treated? How didn't Uh-oh. I? Sorry. New news. Uh, it's not my sister. <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, yeah. How did I want to be treated? So I took some of the, some of the methods from, I guess, some of the great leaders that I'd had and applied that and then really thought about um, actually what's going to make this team tick. And again, different dynamics. I was a younger female. Mm. Um, I was kind of, I guess, at the start of my ladder um, in terms of leadership. Um, and I, I needed I needed them to kind of feel they could trust me. They were bought into what I was selling. Um, and again, their experience levels were very varied. So I had somebody that was quite junior and actually he just wanted somebody to put his arm around them rather than, you know, um, keep giving them a stick so yep. he he wanted me to kind of help and coach him that that worked well um I had a couple of guys that were two or three of them were kind of um probably a little bit ahead of me in terms of their careers yeah and again it was about uh, personally they were at different stages so one was just getting married so what was important to him was kind of money um and I and I realized that quite quickly um one didn't really want too much attention and spotlight and wanted to just kind of get on with it. Yeah, Yeah, keep his head down. One wanted me to just be his air cover. Um, So it was about understanding what made them tick and where are they in their careers? Where are they in their lives? Um, Yeah, so I I spent quite a lot of time understanding them, but also bringing them together as a team. Yeah. Because they, because as a team, they were very different at different stages of their careers. I needed them to feel like a team and us to all be bouncing off of each other in terms mm. of experience, um, client engagement, messaging, messaging. Mm. Um, so I did quite a lot of team stuff with them. And I think a lot of time I could feel them kind of rolling their eyes as if to say, I'm oh, not more bonding, not more building. <laughs> but um, it, it, it worked for us, yeah. you know, and I always kind of joke saying a, a team that drinks together stays together. So we did the odd night out just to kind of, you know, that's yeah. that's when some of the best ideas come out. Yeah. Um, it's when a lot of the best knowledge shares come out, um, and that that was that was important, and that worked for the team. Cool. I suppose a lot of I can only imagine again, as I'm not a woman, but a younger woman in this industry going into your your first leader, male or female, going into your first leadership role is going to be a scary enough prospect. They wouldn't have given you the job if they didn't feel you're capable of doing it. You're making a face there, but. <laughs> In your own head, you're like, okay, shit, now I have to actually deliver and do this job. Or they gave it to me because I'm able, this is what I want to do, I'm ready for it, let's go. I think I definitely had the fear factor. Mm. I hadn't planned on moving up, I guess, the corporate ladder. I was I was really enjoying the role that I was doing, uh, being an account exec. I was running a global account, so I was really enjoying that. And I got asked, asked to... Um, to take the job and I said no I you know no I'm I kind of not finished what I've started um in terms of the uh the role I was in I got asked to interview and kind of the expectation was listen it'll be good experience for you and I thought you know what that's a fair point and then when they said right we want to offer you the job I was like oh well, hang on a second I naively I didn't think this was part of the deal I thought I was doing it for the experience mm-hmm. um so I, I I got the job um and I 
I, yeah, I I think I'd be lying if I said I wasn't I, I wasn't nervous about it because I'd never done anything like this before. Mm. Um, I was used to being a an account manager, and this was a whole different ball game. And I've got a team of people that actually I didn't know, so they were, for all sense and purposes, kind of strangers to me. Mm. And um, and where do I start? And they're going to look at me and think, and um, why have they chosen her? And mm. so I think I went in with some self self-doubt but then very quickly you find um areas where you can help them and support them um and then you kind of go actually I, I might have this i think i think i can do this um and and actually one of the saddest um days was when i kind of had to go i'm not doing this job anymore i'm I'm being promoted and it was proper bittersweet. And they yeah, were all yeah. like, really? Because <laughs> um, I'd had a great two years with them. Um, and in fact, actually one of them has recently left a company. And before he was leaving, he phoned me just to get my advice. Okay. And, and actually that was the person that had also interviewed for that job. And so that was going back, it's I don't know, full eight, circle. nine years. Yeah, so so he still picked up the phone to me and said, hey, can I, can I just, can I come and meet you? I'm looking at another job can I come and talk to you about that? And I was like, yeah, of course you can. And if you roll back nine years thinking we'd both gone up for this job, it'd taken us a little while to find our feet. And then kind of nine, 10 years later, taken, uh, he's when, you, when you say it took a while to find your feet, it's probably a nice way of saying there was it's like a bit of tension. I, not tension. Cause he's a, he's a good guy. I, I think, um, just I think general, competitiveness yes absolutely competitiveness right yeah. he was looking at me thinking why did you get the job and i didn't yeah um and he also had a really good relationship with the guy that had done this previously that had been promoted um so it's nice now that he still wants to pick up the phone to me and well, just says a lot about him. you know any sort of maybe chips on the shoulder that he might once had are they were they were gone within yeah. two months uh yeah. and I, I remember the point at which um, it changed. It was, I um, I said to him, something along the lines of, I'll support you in, in whatever you need, as long as when I ask for you to do something, you know I'm asking because I need it to be done and not for any other reason. And that point came and, and he did it. And then he closed a really a, a great piece of business. And I bought him a bottle of champagne to say thank you because it made a, a big difference to, to our business, to the team. Uh, the motivation within the team and um and he he was really pleased i think that i'd acknowledge that um and then roll forward i think it was two or three months something happened and he bought me in a bottle of champagne just to say thank you back and i was like wow you my, it's my job to thank you not the other way around yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and he was just thanking me for supporting him mm. and so yeah it's it's interesting that that dynamic yeah, yeah, slightly yeah, changed yeah, yeah and i suppose the question i'd ask you if there's New managers, newly promoted managers, would you, would you say it's a case of fake it till you make it in the first 90 days? Or would you say just trust your instinct or believe in the people who gave you the role? Um, what do you think? What sort of key steps I, I did you take? I definitely wouldn't say fake it till you make it. Um, although probably everybody feels like Am I going to get found out at some point? Exactly. Um, but if it's a job you've never done before, you know, you have an idea from having had managers, having watched them, having interacted with them, but something you've never actually practiced, there's going to be an element of faking it. <clears throat> and you're putting that, okay, now your manager, managerial hat, 
I think I'd ask, uh, if there's a new leader coming up, I'd ask, ask yourself, why, why do you want to do this job? Because it's not a case of you're just getting put in that job. In order to do that job or in order to get to that point, you'll have put yourself forward typically for that job. Mm. So what is it that has driven you to go for that role and what do you want to get out of that role would be number one. Believe in the people that have put you in that role because nobody wants to see people people fail. Mm. Um, understand your team. Understand the people in your business. Um, and I always say, treat everybody as individuals. So I've seen managers in the past just take a broad brush to everybody, like I talked about a minute mm. ago. You can't, you can't do that. So I, for example, I'm six weeks, seven weeks into this job and I have decided <laughs> for two reasons that I'm going to meet um, everybody in the team. So whoever they are, so one to one. sales, pre-sales, um, our HR advisors, um, I'm missing people, but but everybody. Um, one is, and I'm doing it over lunch, and one is that so I make sure I have a lunch every day, because if not, I might not have lunch. Um, so um, it's important that I, uh, I have lunch. Um, but actually, it's so that everybody, I get to meet everybody, and yeah. I understand what what every every who everybody is and what makes them tick yeah um and actually so i had lunch today um with one of uh one of my team so one of my account managers and he said it's really nice you're doing this thanks very much I, no one's done this before and and it's nice that you're spending some time with me so i spent i don't know 40 45 minutes we had lunch together i learned he's just come back off off holiday it was his 10 year anniversary and he took his wife away for it. And I was like, that's really nice. That's mm. a really nice thing to do after kind of 10 years of, of being married. He's got a little girl. Um, and so I, I'm trying to do those things, but you know, it's not, it's not about me. I want again, the team to know that I care and that I'm interested in them and that they can share and that I don't lose that sense of reality. And also there'll be things that I don't know about the business Yeah. that, is good learning for me and course, for them yeah. to share. Um, so that would be, again, one of my messages to new leaders is get to know your team, understand what makes them what makes them tick and do it over lunch because then you make sure you get fed. <laughs> Great advice, Leila. <laughs> I think what? that's a good time to wrap up. We're what, 47, 48 minutes into it. Before we do, I was just yeah. going to ask you, what do you look for then in, in a leader? What makes you follow your manager? I think it's, as I said, it's someone who is authentic and you actually believe that they're in the job for the same reasons that you're in it for. And, you know, they'll have your back when you need them. Uh, someone that, yeah, if, if as long as they're human and you can sort of see that the motivation for their success is coming from the right place, you know, it's a corporate environment. Obviously, we all have our various KPIs, but you know, from a personal standpoint, I think that's if if I can sort of connect with my manager on a personal level. So yeah, look, we're both in this together. We're both sort of chasing the same thing. We both know what success looks like for both of us. Let's go in and do it together. And it's that shared dynamic that we're both. We're both really doing the same thing, just mm. ch chasing the same thing in, in different capacities. Uh, as long as I can believe in that person, then I think that'll get the best out of me rather than say, oh, yeah. Like, whilst 
we have the same objectives i don't really believe you or i don't feel if they're not bought into it enough either maybe as much as i am which you know again it's getting someone to follow you you you're presenting your vision your strategy <coughs> if that's not believable enough it's not authentic i might sort of see through it and like oh yeah it's just the usual corporate yeah. jargon and you can easily see through that and then that sort of makes it less yeah you know, less willing to go into battle with that person last question go on what are you learning from your um from your blogs you've done six now and how are this they is going? episode six what am i learning God, uh, well, I'm learning. Tr- maybe I'm. It's hard to say what I'm actually learning, but I just think having it's a weird dynamic, sort of sitting down and speaking to someone in a sort of a forced way, other than in a formal interview. There's, there's never really in this scenario, other than doing these podcasts. So I think it's helping me in terms of okay. What's let's listening being a better listener, listening to what the person's saying, and then sort of trying to put myself in the shoes of the listener, on the other end of the the podcast, and saying, okay, what what have you just said there? What's the the bet the, the next follow on question that's going to be more interesting? You know, the why why did you choose that? Or you know, what's it like leading a team? Like you know, just trying to pick up on the little cues that you might be saying that will trigger more interesting conversation. I think that's that's what I'm trying to achieve, and hopefully that produces good audio content. For yeah, I mean I've listened to a number of them, right? And um, they're really they're they're really good. They're quite different, which mm-hmm. is which is good. Difference always good. Um, I just wondered if you'd kind of got some learnings out of them because you've done a few now. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, actually listening is interesting, and then listening to how to then follow that on and, yeah. and make sure that people want to stay engaged in listening to it kind of wherever they are, whether it's traveling or mm. sat at home or... Yeah, being a better listener. Uh, try, try, oh. I'm very popular this Are afternoon. these prospective house buyers potentially that you're no, not answering? No, and the funniest thing is my phone says it's on silent and clearly it's not. <laughs> uh, what else have I learned? Yeah, try to, trying to get someone to tell a story. Try and put the other person at ease. Because automatically it goes into interview-style scenario where I'm asking the questions, you're giving the answers. Whereas I think it's better if it's more of a conversational two-way type thing. Yeah. So you're asking questions. Once the person is at ease, well then you open up more, leads to better content, better stories. Okay. Maybe it's the art of conversation. Yeah, it's good. What more can I say? No, it's good. Cool. Thank you very much. Layla, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to hearing the feedback from our listeners on this episode. I'm sure there'll be many people across all walks of life, not only within our sort of bubble that we live in here in SAP, but outside SAP, my network, hopefully your network will take a lot from this and... Yeah, I'm sure you've shared some very valuable insights into life in your world. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Leila. Thanks, Connor. Bye-bye.